Revelation chapter 12 is uh, full of images. While I have the overhead up there, maybe I'll put, I don't know how well this will show for you. That, that's just a picture somebody drew on their computer of the return of Christ and God's people uh, welcoming him with the great throng, the joyful throng when Christ returns. Chapter 12, however, is not full of images that are all that happy. Some people have taken some effort to try to draw some of the pictures of the book of Revelation, a dragon with uh, ten horns. Here's one. Here's another one. A red dragon with ten horns. That's what Revelation 12 is going to tell us about, a dragon with horns. It does take a little imagination. What I want you to do, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to close your eyes and allow not this particular visual... I'm going to ask you to paint your own visual of Revelation chapter 12. Chapter 11 ends. At last the seventh seal sounds. The time has come, verse 18 says. Chapter 11. Oh, don't close. You don't have to close your eyes yet. Chapter 11, verse 18 says, The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding the servant, your servants, the prophets, your saints, and those who reverence your name both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Chapter 11 comes again to the last day. Time has come. Just like chapter 6. But in chapter 12, we're going to just like we did in chapter 7. Chapter 6, end of time. Chapter 7, we're going to go to back to the beginning again. Chapter 11, the judgment day. Chapter 12, back to the beginning. Here it is. Now you can close your eyes if you want. And... Try to imagine the next scene. It's lightning, it's thunder, it's earthquake, hailstorm, signifies the end of the judgment, the change of scenes. Suddenly, a woman appears in the sky. She is dressed in a diaphanous garment woven from the rays of the sun, each thread pulsing with light. Twelve stars, fiery, white and red, form a crown on her head. She is standing on the moon. We are riveted by her beauty, and only now we notice that she's pregnant. This dazzlingly beautiful figure abruptly cries out in the pains of birth. The chorus of those who have called for God's judgment is still reverberating and clashes with her cry. Suddenly, a dragon cruises into view, as hideous and repulsive as the lady is lovely. The dragon is a crimson gash violating the sky. And violated he does, his muscular tail sweeping a third of the stars, myriads of stars from sky to earth. But his eyes are fixed elsewhere. Seven crowns on his thorny heads he crouches, poised to devour the woman, the moment of the child, sorry, poised to devour the child, the moment of its birth. The child appears, bearing the signs of royalty. The dragon snaps, but misses its effort to gobble up the child. The child is lifted up to God's throne in heaven. The woman flees to a secret place. 
the dragon turns first to Michael the archangel, whose realm he has attempted to spoil. But Michael hurls him to the earth. Undeterred by this humiliation, he hurries off to pursue the woman again. Vision ends. That's sort of a description of Revelation chapter 12, of what John sees. Now, if you think that Revelation 1 through 11 are abstract and the picture behind the scenes, I would say to you that chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 go even farther behind the scenes. Because now, although we've had glances at the earth with letters to seven real churches and writers depicting scarcity and disease and famine and peals of thunder representing you know, various plagues on the earth, there's at least been some contact with the earth in these visions, but now there is virtually none. We're, we're in heaven. We're seeing things as God sees them. Now, what did this scene just depict? What was this scene about? Who is this child that a dragon wants to destroy? And who's the dragon? Who's the woman, anyway? Well, is there anything that we know for sure? Are any of these symbols identified so that we couldn't miss them? What's identified for sure? Okay, the dragon. Who's the dragon? Dragon is Satan. Okay, that's our starting point. Uh, and that we know. Uh, what else may we know for sure from this scene? Who is the child? The child is Jesus. What makes you say the child is Jesus? Because it says so in your notes. Uh, why else do you say the child is Jesus? Because the dragon wants to destroy Christ. Uh, there's something else that's even more definite. Yes. Child is made to rule over the nations. Who rules over the nations? Christ does. Jesus does. That's from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 2. It's also from here and there, shall we say, elsewhere, especially in chapter 2, verse 27. It's a symbol that's found here and there throughout the book. Uh, we could also notice that um, chapter 12, verse 10 says that when the child is lifted to the throne, we hear, now have come the kingdom of God and of his Christ. So when Christ, when this child is lifted to heaven, then the, then the reign of God comes. So the child is Christ, the dragon is Satan, agent of destruction, trying to destroy God's people and God's Christ. Who then would the woman be? This is a little bit harder. Who's the woman? Uh, the woman is Israel or Mary. Or, there's, you know, there's a third answer. It's Israel or Mary or, or the church. And what I'm going to say to you is, in a sense, they're all three one. They're all correct answers. It does say, it, I'll put it to you this way, the woman who gives birth is, is the true church. It's not Israel in the sense of national Israel. It's Israel, Israel throughout the nations, Israel throughout the ages. It's the people of God. Obviously, there is a sense in which Christ is born in the fullness of time, born of a woman. I'm in Galatians 4 right now. The woman is Mary. So we could say it's Mary, but Mary is also a believer. She is part of the true church. Not the church that's founded in Acts 2, but the true church, the people of God, the true Israelites. The true Israelites and the true church are organically one. They're all believers. So the child is Christ, the woman is married, or slash the church, and the dragon is Satan. What's this about? Well, one way of putting it is, um, if you ever get tired of giving the same old devotionals at Christmas season, 
get tired of Luke 2 and Matthew 2, you want to do something a little bit different for the Christmas season, this is another description of the birth of Christ. Who was doing the work of the dragon at this time? Herod is doing the work of the dragon. And furthermore, this is not just, I'll even say, not although it's primarily about Satan's desire to destroy Christ, the Lord's anointed, and destroy his people, there's also a truth in this that applies to all time. Isn't it true that Satan is always trying to destroy the people of God? You could go through, in fact, even back to Adam and Eve. Satan was trying to destroy them by tempting them. We could even look at the conflict between Cain and Abel or between Jacob and Esau. We could certainly look, could we not, at the book of Exodus where when all the male children of Israel were to be killed, the goal was to exterminate. The women would still live, but they'd be, they'd be assimilated. It would be the end of the people. Goliath, trying to kill the Lord's anointed David. Athaliah, trying to kill every king from the line of David. We could think somewhat, at least, of the book of Esther, the attempt to exterminate all, at least, of the Israelites uh, in that region of the world. We could think of Assyria, wiping out the ten northern kings. We could think of Babylon, taking the leaders of Israel captive to, to decapitate the nation. We could think of Herod. We could think of the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes trying to destroy Jesus. We could think of Rome, the seven churches as Domitian and others contemplated destroying those who wouldn't bow to him. We could think of persecutions in other lands. It is always a desire of Satan to destroy God's people. But he'll do it different ways. If you look at the technique that Satan uses, what is the instrument that he uses over and over again? Okay, deception, somebody says, it's true. What, what part of the body does the dragon use? He uses his mouth. Look through chapter 12. The first thing he tries to do is to devour the Christ child. Verse 4, at the moment of birth, you devour with your mouth. But then a little bit later, the mouth speaks. Chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Now have come the salvation, power, and kingdom of God, and the authority of his Christ, were the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. How do you accuse? With your mouth, of course. And this is another thing that Satan does. Satan is identified here in chapter 12. His names are given. He is called Satan, in verse 9, which means the adversary the, or the accuser. It's a legal term. He is also called the devil. The word devil means the deceiver, still in verse 9. So he deceives, he lies, and he accuses, he slanders. So he tries to devour by force, but he also tries to accuse. Now what would his accusation be, but, before the throne of God, these don't have a right to be with you in your holy heaven. They're dirty. They're defiled. They're sinful. What gives them the right to enjoy your salvation? Nothing. So judge them. He accuses. And the accusation has, shall we say, an aspect of truth to it. But they overcame that accusation by the blood of the Lamb. And God says, guilty, you better believe it. But you know what? They've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Deserving of condemnation? Despoiled? Filthy? Unworthy of my heaven? Yes. But I've cleansed them. 
And so the accusation is, is obliterated. This is taken actually from Zechariah chapter 3, where there's a priest who appears before God in filthy garments. The priest is supposed to have the purest of garments, but he's clothed in, in, in the filthiest, literally from the Hebrew, you know, filth-covered, excretion-covered garments. He's as filthy as can be. He has no right to stand before God, but God takes away those filthy garments and gives him new garments. So now he can stand before God. Satan also uses another instrument, that is he belches, verse 13, sorry, verse 15, from his mouth a river like water, water like a river, to overtake the woman and sweep her away. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. So Satan loses. He loses again and again. He loses in his bid to devour Christ. He loses in his bid to accuse. He loses his bid to drown the woman with this river of water. He loses, I'm not going sequentially here, he loses in his battle against Michael. Notice that when the woman is snatched away, chapter 12, verse 6, in a desert place, there's a war in heaven. Satan goes to war against heaven. Who does he fight? But Michael. I need to think about this. Some people think, a little bit of theology, some people think of Satan as having power that's almost equal or virtually equal. They think of Satan as kind of being like God, right? Like sort of Satan matches up against God. And there's a, it's true this much, that's the way Satan would like to have us think. But it's not true. Who has to fight against Satan in this scene? Michael. Just an angel. And you know what? He wins. God doesn't even have to send the A-team. He just has to send an angel. The second string can win. God himself doesn't have to get involved. Now, of course, God... To get away from laughing at Satan just for a moment, God empowers Michael. God designed Michael. God gave Michael his place. It's not as though Michael on his own strength defeats Satan. But it, we have to remember that the battle is between two angels. And God's great angel Michael wins. Now there's great harm done. A third of the stars are swept from the sky. The stars, I believe, symbolize angels meaning that Satan takes many angels with him. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 is where I would especially look for that identification that the angels are represented by the stars. But the overall picture is that Christ is not destroyed, the church is not destroyed, heaven is not destroyed, Satan is defeated over and over again. God is victorious. God is victorious. The dragon. So what shall we make of the dragon? He's our adversary. He's frightened. He's a dragon. He accuses. He's angry. He'll talk about our sin. He'll try to destroy us head on. He'll try to get God to judge us. He'll try to devour us. There's reason to pause. We don't want to laugh too much, right? We laughed at him just a little. Said the eight, God doesn't even spend, send the 18. We're not laughing at him in our strength because he is powerful. But their protector is more powerful still. And his defeat is sure. By the end of chapter 12... He has been defeated five times over. He doesn't even give up that fast, though. It says in 12.17, The dragon was enraged and went off at the woman and the rest of her offspring and went off to wage war against them. 
those who obey God's commandments. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. He's lost five times. But he's not going to quit. He still has wrath. He still wants to do damage. And from the sea, he will bring forth new allies. A beast from the sea, mocking and imitating Christ. And alongside a beast from the earth, mocking and imitating the Holy Spirit. Showing signs, trying to lead all the nations astray, offering the mark of the beast. And of all these things we will speak next 